PFF now has an app. Get access to industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis all in the palm of your hand. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and final score, and we'll share the best ones on the show. Will we actually share the best ones on the show? I, uh, I'm just reading the ad here, but that, uh, I guess we will. We'll share the best ones on the show. What is up? Welcome into another Monday edition of Talking Ball, breaking down all things week three. We'll be going through every single game here in the one take segment. Got another loaded show for you guys. Got an interview with possible top 10 pick, possible first rounder, Tanner McKee of Stanford on the back end of the podcast quarterback. I actually made a bet over the weekend um, after maybe like one or two beers. I, I said uh, I made a bet with Austin Gallagher. He'll be a top 10 pick in next year's draft. Um, I don't know how good I feel about that, but I, I do think that he is in the first round conversation. So that'll be at the end here. Uh, like I said, one take going through one takeaway from each team throughout uh, all week three action. First off here, then the fun to watch segment, then a little mailbag action. Make sure you guys are sending in those every week. Monday, we do mailbags. Send those in via Twitter at PFF underscore talking ball. DM that account. You could DM me too, but I'd prefer it's easier to keep them all uh intact if they're in the talking ball pff twitter account um and then in speak pipes on thursdays make sure you guys are sending those in link is in the description those ones are we rely on you guys for those the we need we need you guys coming with the takes for those for the thursday shows and then we have football adjacent power rankings at the back end gonna rank some of the announcing crews so far with the new debut of thursday night football i have some takes about these announcing crews and how to rank them that I'm sure uh, I, I pr probably will not be very controversial, actually. Uh, we'll get to that. Who they think is going to be number one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do wonder. I do yeah. wonder who's because to me, there's not like a, a clear cut, like beloved crew. Like Romo was for a minute there, the goat. And then he. Well, for us, inevitably. Yeah. For We're us. I mean, it's obvious. contractually yeah. obligated. Yes. But like. Most, I, I don't feel like there's one group that really, if you polled sort of national football watching audience, that there's one that stands out above the rest. So we'll see, we'll see how you guys feel about those at the end. But let's get into the one take segment. Let's get into the games. Go back all the way back to Thursday night where the Browns took it to the Steelers 29 17. Now it's close to the final score, obviously. Touchdown at the end of the game to ruin some. Teaser legs in that one. Browns cover the four and a half point spread over hits, 38 and a half points in that one in the win. And my biggest takeaway from the Browns is I, I do think I underestimated just Kevin Stefanski. I, I do think he's, you know, he was coach of the year for a reason. This guy can cobble together offense with a backup quarterback better than a lot of teams around the NFL. And now they're well suited to do so when you have someone like Nick Chubb, who is an absolute monster behind a very good offensive line also that uh, is much more equipped this year to adjust without uh with injuries to, to their starting line i think james hudson's been tremendous uh as a as a fill-in standing right tackle so that's my biggest takeaway with the browns is i i thought this wasn't going to be their year i didn't think they'd have really a chance of making the playoffs with how long sean watts suspended but 
they they look they look like a team who's going to show up into week was it week twelve week thirteen what what whatever week Deshaun Watson comes back like around five hundred maybe if not above five hundred like they are now so Browns team still very much in the conversation like no one's talking about them as a Super Bowl team right now because obviously we still don't know what Sean Watson's even going to look like when he comes back and what that's going to be. But if he is the guy that we saw way back, you know, last time we saw him play football in the NFL, this is kind of a scary team that no one's talking about. Um, I mean, talking for obvious reasons why they're not talking about it, but if you're, you know, the Bengals, the Ravens, you're praying you're praying that the bottom falls out before they get Sean Watson back because the rest of this team's legit. <laughs> the rest of this team is difficult to deal with. And on the flip side of the ball, Steelers, you know, maybe we owe Big Ben an apology. Maybe we didn't appreciate him enough because it's looked we didn't think it could look worse. We kept saying, you know, he was a top, he was a bottom five grade quarterback in the NFL last year, Big Ben. It's gonna be better. It's gonna look better, right? Right? No, not wrong, <laughs> very wrong. They can't even like get the ball in their playmaker's hands either. It, it's just, it's difficult to watch if you're a Steelers fan. This offense, after just what it looked like for a decade and a half previously, um, I, I'd struggle to see Matt Canada making it one pass this season. I, I know the Steelers don't fire in season. They're very they're that kind of organization, continuity, whatnot. But I, I can't believe they gave him this long a leash. <laughs> I, I can't believe he got the job in the first place, truly. I mean, you go back and look at his history. He barely stays in one place. He has been bounced around. I, I think he stayed in one job before this with the Steelers longer than three years. Um, somewhat indicative. Kind of seems like there's a reason for that, I'll say. All right, on to Sunday slate, where we'll kick off with Saints-Panthers. Panthers win 22-14 to at home. Cover as two-and-a-half-point dogs. Win outright. Under hits, 41 and a half. From Panthers' perspective, I've, I've shit on them a lot this year. And maybe rightfully so. I believe rightfully so. But there is a moment, there is a silver lining to the Panthers' sort of atrocity. No, that's too far. I got to take that. Not atrocity. The Panthers' um, futility, there we go, that we've seen this season. J.C. Horn, first rounder from last year. We got to start talking about people need to talk about this guy. I hate no, I hate doing that too. I, I do. I don't like policing what people talk about, but I'm going to start talking about this guy. JC Horn, top 10 pick from last year, kind of the forgotten man because he gets injured a couple games in to his rookie season, misses his entire rookie season, three games a season, 35 yards allowed all season, five of 11 targets, had a pick, forced incompletion, had a massive pass breakup that there uh, a massive uh, batted pass on a blitz that resulted in another pick in this Panthers game. Real deal playmaker. 35 yards allowed, 119 coverage snaps too. Not just you know 35 yards allowed in part-time role. He's doing it. J.C. Horn looks like the real deal. Looks like the guy who's worthy of a top 10 pick. Last year's cornerback class at the top. Sertan, Horn, very much worthy. I, I mean, that whole, there, there wasn't a miss in the 2021 class outside of the quarterback position. Everyone that's seen the field has lived up to the billing, which uh, never happens. That, that was a special class. Flip side, so something to be excited about there if you are a Panthers fan because the offense still 
not much to be excited about. Although LaVisca made an appearance, LaVisca Chenault. Looked like he looked like a Colorado for probably the first time in his NFL career there on that screen. Um, New Orleans Saints, though, their side of the ball. Did we read too much into Jameis Winston last year with Sean Payton? Was that too, did, were we extrapolating too much off of kind of like the six games we saw of him and thinking that we'd never get the bad Jameis again? That we'd never get the highs and lows? Because we've, we're getting the highs and lows. He already has more turnover-worthy plays this year than he did in all of 2021. Race seven on the season. And, and he threw two picks, and those weren't even like his turnover-worthy plays in that game. He had I, I apologize for not having the uh, Marquez Callaway one-handed catch that picture queued up. That was a sick catch, but like that was one of the worst decisions it I've was, ever seen. There was four or five uh, guys in the area, including receivers, but like yes. it was just a mass of humanity, and he was like, yep. Going there, and it was definitely not to Marcos out, bad. It was definitely not to him. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure it was not uh, going his way. But yeah, that was a sick catch. Uh, but I do think we gave him a little too much credit, and maybe Sean Payton not enough credit, and not not enough due to him. You know, Pete Carmichael staying around as offense coordinator. Maybe we just thought, you know, it's going to be the same offense. They've struggled. Struggled so far. And yeah, Jameis is hurt or got hurt and he's in pain, whatever. And that's always hard to quantify. And obviously that could be playing a big factor in here too that we really, you know, probably won't find out about it. And if we do, it'll find out about it after the season. But yeah, Jameis had a rough go of it of late. Like I said, six turnover plays the last two weeks. Tough stuff. Texans, Bears. We'll make this one quick, but Jalen Petrie, welcome to the show. I said at week one, I was like, you know, he, he, didn't really reflect it in the grade necessarily, but this guy's around the football consistently. Yet again, two picks in this game of Justin Fields. Somewhat gimme picks. You put more of the blame on Fields, but two nice plays. Give Petrie his credit. They, right place, right time. That leads to opportunity. And only one missed tackle in this game on nine attempts. He's limiting the missed tackles after nine the first two weeks. So this dude's around the football. Four defensive stops. Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, love this draft. I'll say it again, love this draft from Texans, but he showed up in this one. Davis Mills, unfortunately, not as much. Obviously, not, as, not necessarily his fault at the end of the bad pass, but not great from him. And you know who really didn't show up? And this is the one on the opposite side of the ball. Justin Fields. Wow. I, I, I'm in awe. He has a 38.0 passing rate on the season. Uh, this is, I think it's, I think it's over. Like this is the worst case scenario if you're a Bears fan. Heading into this year, you're like, okay, you know, if basically hinged on fields. You, you don't have a lot else in this roster to like root for. Heading into this year, you're just like, okay, all I want to see is fields play better, you know? They can go 0-16, 0-17, but if Fields looks good, there's reason to be encouraged. And it's kind of the worst-case scenario. Fields looks like absolute shit. I, I, I cannot – I'm trying to think of any quarterback who's turned out to be good, who has looked this bad at any point, at any stretch of games in his career outside of his rookie season. And it's – I haven't really come up with any. And that's why I'm saying I'm very worried about Justin Fields because this is quicksand sort of footsteps Falco level 
of bad. If and he sticks around starting for a while, do you like? Well, the he'll two have one. to have set. Well, I guess maybe yeah. not set a record because they didn't throw back in the day. But like, I mean, I can't remember the last time a quarterback will have thrown like that few of pat. Like, because he threw yeah. like I think seventeen, 17. times. And that was a season high, that's right? A season high. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. They're not even. They don't even want him to throw. I mean, I wouldn't want him to throw either with what's going on there. It's, it's, it's a wild six turnover really plays in the season. Zero big time throws. And now again, they don't have talent around it, but this is. You would, you can't let it get this bad, and they win still. And so they're kind of playing their way out of top draft selection. I know it's still early. If they finish two and. 15, they'll probably still be draft number one overall, but kind of playing their way out of getting Fields replacement while also realizing that Fields doesn't look like the guy. Flat out does not look like the guy. Scary, scary stuff uh, if you are a Bears fan. So, yikes, that's number one overall pick bowl. Called it before the game and Texans win by losing. All right, Chiefs, Colts. Chiefs lose as road faves. Four and a half point favorites. They lose under hits, and that one under was 51 and a half was that. Colts take a 20 to 17 on a very unchiefs-like game, right? This just did not feel it felt like when they were up 27 to 13, it's like, okay, now is when Patrick Mahomes puts his foot on your throat and makes you realize why he's, you know, Patrick Mahomes. And it didn't happen. And now, yes. Awful special teams day by the Chiefs. That massive factor in it. The the stupid fake field goal was one of the worst fake field goals I've seen. Had a missed field goal, missed P- uh, PAT, obviously with a backup kicker in there, and then a muff punt by Sky Moore that all were played a big role in the Colts even being able to hang around to win this. But even with it, it, it still felt like they should have been the team that won. And also you got to say like the Chris Jones penalty was so dumb that led that was extended that drive that ended up being the game winning drive for the Colts at the end. Um, just all very un chiefs like, but like that game is played two years ago. Just think of chiefs in their prime when it was super bowl chiefs, when it was, Oh, they're going back to the super bowl chiefs. They, they just, they run away with that game. It feels like. So yeah, they're still two and one, but I, this Chiefs team just feels a little different than previous Chiefs teams, I will say, having watched them. You know whose fault it was that the Chiefs lost? Dr. Odds. Dr. Odds he was, was at the, the house. game, and he tweeted something to the effect of, like, the last two Chiefs games that I've been to, they've only scored three points in the second half. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he's, is it he's, his fault? I think the last the two numbers would suggest too. so. Yeah. He was at the AFC Championship game. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, well, the Bengals home game here. The Bengals, uh, yeah, that too. Bengals Chiefs game at the end of the last year. So, Doctor Odds needs to stay away. Uh, but Colts side of the ball, the win, great. Nothing feels fixed, though. <laughs> you know. The, they had to have it, had to pull that out their ass, rabbit out the hat, had to be done. But do you like if you're a Colts fan? Do you feel any better about this team's chances? Two more turnover plays for Matt Ryan. You know, game-winning drive was great, but again, it was only a game-winning drive because they got the penalty out of Chris Jones to extend it on a third down that it would have been over and they would have handed the ball back to Mahomes. If not, uh, it, it just didn't feel like – oh, that's one of the other things I didn't even mention. Was Patrick Mahomes 
throwing a pick instead of getting him in field goal range was another thing that felt very unchiefs like. But okay, back to the Colts. Just the stat line was better. You know, it didn't go so bad into four picks, you know, multiple picks for Ryan that we saw from the first two weeks. But it didn't feel like they moved the ball when they, like, with any sort of ease. Uh, so still finished with a 54.8 passing grade on the day. Um, he looks old, man. Yes. Like, that's obviously on the field, but, like, I watched that postgame interview. Like, he just legitimately looks old. Yeah. Like, he did not get the Tom Brady gene therapy plastics or whatever that is. He doesn't, like, he just he looks like a 40 year old man. Or Steve, I don't know how, 30, 38, 39. Steven Ruiz had one of my favorite takes about Matt Ryan. He said he runs like he's on a treadmill. Like, a lot of stuff's moving. Hands are kind of flailing to the side a lot, and he's not making a lot of progress forward. Um, it, it just, it, you're right. It looks old. So Colts, he said, I had to have it, but nothing feels fixed here. Nothing feels fixed. Bills Dolphins game of the weekend, just odd on so many different levels. Bills. So we'll go, we'll do the bills first. You out, you had 90 offensive plays to 39 offensive plays, 90 offensive plays for the bills, 39 of the Dolphins. You can't. Yeah, it sucks that you lost that game, but you can't be like, you can't leave that game feeling anything other than, you know, we kind of blew it. You're not worried, you know, leaving that game about, I don't want to say you're not worried about the Dolphins. You're, you're obviously worried because you have a lot of injuries and need guys to get back healthy. And that's like, are, are we ever going to be this Bills team that we saw early on the season because a lot of guys are just out? Um, so that's the worry if you are the Bills. But, that one you have to be leaving feeling like shit. We had we had the chances there. We just kind of the Josh Allen pass, the the f- flat just duck that he threw on fourth down. I, I I if Tua would have thrown that pass, same pass that Allen did, Twitter would have just lost their minds. I I would have loved to have seen it because that was uh that that's a that's a pass that'll make Skip Bayless question your clutch gene. And I haven't actually tuned in to anything he's talked about today, and I won't. But I'm sure he's probably mentioned clutch gene with Josh Allen once. Because apparently, what I heard, I didn't actually even research the stat. So if, I, if it's not true, this was Nick Wright said it. They haven't won a one-score game since 2020. Which I find difficult to believe, but possibly. Um, wild. Wild stuff there from Buffalo Bills. Then how about Ken Dorsey losing his mind in the booth afterwards? I love that. I want more of that. People saying like, you know, he was a psychopath or like that's a that, that's a true reaction. That's a I just left it all out in the line. I called a play that schemed open a wide open wide receiver and he missed him. Sort of play. Although was that after that? I can't actually remember now off the top of my head. But truthfully. A game that doesn't – if you're a Bills fan, I'm just not worried after this. Not worried. Dolphins side of the ball, though. My biggest takeaway is <laughs> what's going on with their medical staff. Tua coming back in that game was the biggest upset of the weekend. I was floored. I was, like, I was sitting at home, pissed off because we had this, a great start to the game. Tua rocks his head. Telltale sign of a concussion. Head snaps back into the ground after Matt Milano gets him. 
like the the whiplash effect, gets up, and then one immediately goes hands to head, which is, if you ever had a concussion, the immediate like telltale sign, hands to head, is what everyone does, unless you're completely knocked out. Hands to head, gets up, can't walk straight. Hmm, I wonder. I wonder what just happened to his brain inside his cranium. Well, and the craziest part too is like, they were like, oh, it's a back injury. But like, and people were just acting like it's fine. Like your back is so injured that you're like wobbling. Yeah. If that's a bad, it's like, that's, that's probably not much better. Yeah, you no, need your back. Right? You need your spinal cord. Uh, no, that's important. Just, anytime someone literally can't walk straight on their own, I, I don't think they should be playing the game of football. I'll just say it. I'm not upset though. It was a, it was a hell of an ending. Uh, the pass he threw on third and 22, Jalen Waddell, that was sick. I, I mean, dramatic game, had a lot, a lot of intrigue. And, and if you were a listener back in the preseason, I'm not going to pump my chest too hard. But I did say bet Dolphins plus 450 to win the division was my favorite bet of any. So I'll just say I said it. I did say that. Um, last take, though, for the Dolphins. I know it's one take, but this one. The, the punt, the ass punt. They're so lucky they won. Ass punt would have been, they've just gotten careened with that on a weekly basis, the ass punt. Trent Shurfield just getting a football to his rectum harder than anyone's probably ever gotten a football to the rectum. I, I would be hard-pressed to think of a scenario where someone has taken a football at a faster speed directly between their butt cheeks. I don't think it could happen. Like No one's going to willingly take a punt from an NFL punter Mate, like, I'm not sure which. I think a punt goes out faster than a kick. So already there's that. I don't think anyone's spread their cheeks right in front of a, you know, jugs machine. So I'd be. I don't know if there's any way that anyone's taken one harder. So no, nah, that'd be a great uh, dude perfect stunt. Yeah. For the Thursday night stream. I need dude week. perfect to take yeah. a football to, to the ass to do that harder. 65 times until they like get it right. <laughs> And reenacted that I would actually watch that mm. dude perfect stream. And if they put like a a gun, like a miles per hour, like a gun on it to see, you know, here's how fast a normal punt goes. We're gonna crank this jugs machine up just a little faster and have uh Cody over here spread his cheeks. Do they still uh is sports science still a thing? <laughs> I feel like they could figure that out. Uh I feel John like they could put some numbers. Yeah, I feel like they yeah. could put some statistics behind that. It was traveling that at 80 miles per hour, which means 10 metric tons of force right between his colon. Um, yeah, I, I, we need some analysis on that because, truthfully, it's, it, it was a spectacular sight. Uh, all right. Lions-Vikings. Lions, man. Ah, frustrating one. But still, watching this team and the amount of young talent they have. And I, and I emphasize this a lot during the offseason when we talk, you know, knowing where you are as a franchise, and that they have, like, they're impact guys, whether it's, you know, Penny Sewell, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Aiden Hutchinson, now Jeffrey Akuda, who's been looking great. Valuable positions. Yes. They're, they're on rookie contracts. And so when you have that, you can then make plays in free agency to get yourself up to speed quick. And they really haven't done that is the other thing. It's like they've been building it the right way up. 
And so, yeah, you lose this game. This was not your year to make that leap. But this might be a quarterback landing spot. Like, this might be a, a job. And saying this about the Lions, I know. I get it. I, I don't know if someone's actually going to want to pull that trigger. But this might be a job in next spring where we're like, hey, they're a quarterback away. And they're going to be too good this year to really play themselves into, you know, top five, top ten picks sort of contention. But if quarterbacks become available, as we've seen it happen a lot now with the last two Super Bowl winners, someone might want to go play with the Detroit Lions. Like I said, Jeffrey Kuda playing very well. Now, Lee McNeil in this game, the defensive tackle, four pressures. All, like, not all of their impact players. They still obviously have uh, Taylor Decker at left tackle, who's tremendous. You know, Romeo Aquara uh, is solid as defensive end, who's getting paid a lot. Like, there are, there are positions that they're getting paid that are impact players in this roster, too. But a lot are just still young. A lot are still newly drafted guys that, hey, you get a quarterback in that fold. You're going to be able to sign a lot of free agents. You're going to have the cap space. Lions moving in the right direction. Sadly, didn't win this game, though. Vikings, this is so I, – I was talking to uh, someone earlier. I was actually talking to my brother, I believe, earlier last week. I was like, you know like the thing about Kirk Cousins and why I just – I don't think he gets – or why I don't, like, put him in any sort of top tier of quarterbacks and why, like, really no one does – but I just was saying, you never come away from a game that Kirk Cousins plays and say, you know, he won that game. You know, the reason, the difference in that game, it was Kirk Cousins. It's almost always like the Vikings win or Kirk Cousins won when he was back with uh, Washington. He won as almost a function of what's around him, as a function of the game. He allowed this team to win by playing just, you know, by the book sort of football. It felt kind of like he, he came back and won them that game to a degree. And, and now there was some coverage bust from the Lions that aided in it. But Kirk Cousins actually showed up in primetime, even though it wasn't primetime, which may have been a big factor in it. It's middle of the afternoon, but that was, that was, a, that was a real performance Kirk Cousins. Um, so hats off to him. That was my takeaway from that. Hats off to Kirk. Got to give it to him. And, and the other one, other takeaway, Christian Derrissaw. He's a dude. 42 pass blocking snaps, zero pressures, zero BDs, which is basically just anything that will downgrade you in pass protection. That is not technically a pressure because it doesn't impact quarterback. He didn't, he didn't get downgraded once a pass pro. 89.4 overall grade in that game. Uh, they got a player. Now Matthew uh, Collar of Purple Insider was telling me in preseason that you know he, he looks – looks real. It looks like he's made a leap, and it's come to fruition on the football field. Christian Derrissaw, left tackle. Vikings O-line a little bit fixed. At least tackle position. Interior is still kind of a mess. All right. Next game up here on the slate. Ravens, Patriots. Ravens win, going away 37-26. Patriots uh, do not cover as two-and-a-half-point dogs. The over hits there, 44-and-a-half. Ravens killing the overs here. Um, for the Patriots, though, Mac Jones is out with a high ankle sprain for any period of time. Pack it in. Pack it in on this Patriots season. It's not going well, even with Mac Jones in there. I cannot imagine how Mike Lombardi was feeling seeing Bill Belichick turn down a 47-yard field goal early in the game to go for a fourth and three. I think he screaming, crying, throwing things at his television, watching his hero. Losing sleep. Yeah. Again. I don't know if he's tweeted since then. 
That's that's a lie. Actually, I saw a tweet from this morning. Uh, I, I think that one has to be tough to swallow. If you are Mr. Lombardi, obviously. Uh, and couldn't I just say this about Mac Jones? I don't want to kick a guy while he's down. But I have seen people be like, why don't why don't more people like Mac Jones? Why is he not like? Why does he get so much hate? Why does he get so much this that? He flopped on the sidelines worse than I've ever seen anyone flop. That is like that play right there is why people are not Mac Jones fans. He could be the nicest guy in the world. Talk to him. I don't know. Never talk to him. But the game of football, people that look for flags in that manner are not going to be well-liked. They're just not. If you are jumping on the sideline to try to draw a flag, as Mac Jones did, that's going to turn a lot of people off. It's not, not great. Not great. All right, Ravens side of the football. This was the secondary we were promised. Now, they still, when they are throwing, so their splits in yardage allowed in this game are comedic. They're starting secondary. It's like the starting five of Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton. 83 yards allowed between those guys. Those five guys, 83 yards allowed. Jalen Armour Davis, Brandon Stevens, Demarion Williams. 182 yards allowed. They played like 20 coverage snaps combined between those three. 182 yards. Um, that's starting secondary, though. Still, that's... Still super talented and, and still only returning from injury. They're probably going to get better as the season goes on. So Ravens defense, Lamar Jackson, you're probably MVP front runner at this point. Um, good bounce back game for them going up against what looks like a tough Patriots, down bad Patriots. Lamar to the Lions. Should we get that rumor started? There we go. That's one who could be available. Trade. That's one that hit could a, be available. Hit, hit up the uh, Ravens front office and be like, hey, what do you want? That, uh, How many picks? I, I like that idea. Because I don't think, I said uh, this morning, it's just football. I think it's, the plan is to, I don't want to say not give him what he wants. That's not like a good plan. But the plan is not to give guaranteed money to the realm that Deshaun Watson got. And I think that's what Lamar wants. Uh, all right. Bengals, Jets. Bengals win, going away. Sky ceases to be falling in Cincinnati. Bengals 27, Jets 12, cover the six and a half point spread, under 45 and a half hits in that one. And this may be controversial. But this defense is great, and this is why they were in the Super Bowl last year, is because the Bengals defense is at one of, if not the most, mm, it's one of the most complete defenses in the NFL. They just don't have a lot of holes outside of maybe Eli Apple. It's, they are very complete defense, and I think this is what we're seeing. And here's a tweet from Andrew Russell. Great PFFer. Bengals fan. Big Bengals Big fan. Bengals fan. Bengals defense ranks among AFC North teams using PFF grades and EPA. First in run defense, first in coverage, first in pass rush, first in EPA per player allowed, and first in positive EPA plays allowed. They've been tremendous this year. They, they, that's why I was like, you know, it's not going to take a lot for this team to get back in it. They, they barely lost to the Cowboys, and the Steelers. They could very well. They're so close to being 3-0 at this point in the season with the offense playing at a lower level than we saw literally at any point last season. So it's not going to take a lot to change things around. Um, this defense took them to the Super Bowl, flat out. Uh, like Joe Burrow, great, overcame a lot to even put points on the board, but they were in the Super Bowl last year because of the defense. 
they were. And they're still there. It's still there. It's still as good. So not worried whatsoever about the Cincinnati Bengals team. Other side of the football, Jets, man, love Sauce Gardner. Watching him go back and forth with Jamar Chase was football, football guy porn. And this didn't get talked about enough, but this was a bitch move by Jamar Chase, man. Going for the mouth guard is always – going for the mouth guard after a play is admitting you lost. That's, that's admitting you got nothing better than to go for a mouth guard. He had a bad game. And he did have a bad game. Sauce? Yeah. Sauce played well. Sauce did play well. I mean, I, I, not all of it was him. Mm-hmm. And I'll give credit where credit is due to UC guys. But, yeah, I mean, that – like, he, he dropped a couple passes, but, like, a lot of that also was probably because Sauce was just in his grill. Yes. All day long. Yeah, three of five targets, 56 yards. A lot of touchdown, but also two forcing completions for Sauce Gardner in coverage. That T. Higgins catch, though. Can we talk just about the rules and the sort of why? I didn't know that that was a rule. So two feet dragging forward, two toes, excuse me, dragging forward counts. Two feet, dra- two feet touching down and then hitting your heels does not count. If the heels hit out of bounds, which to me, even if you get your toes in first, even if that's you get toes the, in first. the key, because he had both toe, he was yes. up with possession of the ball and he had both toes in with no part of his foot hitting yeah. out of bounds. To, that's to, a touchdown. And that's what I'm saying. I didn't know that that yes. was a rule until they said that. So I, was, but I learned something new. It, I guess something positive did come out. To come me, out it makes that. no sense because, um, they just like those two in tandem. I, they, I don't know how you square those, where it's like two toes count if the heels don't strike. But if the heels strike, all of a sudden the, the, the whole foot has to count. I just think it should be two body parts, touch. Or if one of them's knee, one of them's an elbow, one of them's an ass cheek, whatever, those two touch, your money. You, you don't have to get the rest of your foot. It's your first two body parts that hit the ground. I, I don't understand it. It goes back to the same thing that everybody always says when we talk about like catch or no catch stuff. Like mm-hmm. people are just like, did he catch the ball or not? Like you got to yes. start using some common sense. Like T Higgins caught that did, ball. And he got two. That was an awesome inbounds. catch. Two toes were inbounds. But unfortunately his heel was not. Still big one for the Bengals. Uh, all right. Raiders, Titans. Titans win late 24-22. Cover as one and a half point dogs. Obviously went out right. Over hits there, 44, 45 and a half. That one, Vegas just like flexing there with how tight that one was to the over, to the, <laughs> to the line. But from the Raiders' perspective, only 0-3 team in the NFL. Only lost to teams that are 1-2. and two. That's yikes. How bad does the Devontae Adams trade look right now? From just a team-building perspective. Devontae Adams, you know, at 29 years old at this point, sure, he'll probably play as useful. He'll probably play out his contract three, four more years. You can expect him to be playing at a somewhat of a high level. But I'm not sure it matters because you're not even using him. Five and nine targets, 36 yards after two, two catches and 12 yards the week prior. Uh, pretty yikes. And I touched on this in this just football, but Josh McDaniels has skirted a lot of criticism from like national media, but I think it's going to start piling on now. Can't start 0-3 after what they did this offseason. After kind of going all in, extending your starting quarterback, 
trading a first and a second for Devontae Adams. You're basically saying, we're ready to do this now. Um, and then starting off worse than any other team in the NFL. So Derek Carr to the Lions. You want to start that rumor too? That's another one. If they bought him out, I mean, I know they extended him, but like, I just, I can't put that evil on the Lions. I can't do that to them. It, it's, it's a guy that could be available though. But I, if you're the Lions, you almost are like, ah, aim higher. We'll yeah. yeah. Like what's Brady up to? Is he going to, is he going to unretire? No, it, I Giselle, you don't have to worry about Giselle going to Detroit yeah, anymore. Yeah, she didn't come to yeah. Detroit. Yeah. Uh, Titans perspective very much feels like the Colts, right? They felt like they won the same game. It's like, oh, you, you can breathe. You can exhale. We didn't lose. It's not, it's not still, ship's not sinking still. But you're not rising back to the surface. The this, this ship's still kind of, the Titanic's still on its side and you have no fucking clue how to write it because often still a mess all they have is a play action game literally all they have 50 straight dropbacks this year ryan Tannehill's 29 of 50 319 yards it's just over six yards per attempt 73.7 pass rate without play action on 30 play action passes he has more yards than his 50 non-play action passes, 328 yards, 21 of 30, 103.2 passer rating. Basically meaning if you fall behind at all, the Titans, if they have to pass at all, two-minute drill, end of game, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Not this year. They don't have the O-line to hold up and pass for. They don't have the wide receivers to separate. It's got to be schemed, and that's a tough place to be in. As a play caller, as a quarterback, you're in big trouble. Uh, so I don't think, think – yeah, you get the win. I don't think you're seeing the Titans kind of catch lightning in a bottle like they did last year. All right. Eagles, Commanders, Laffer. Eagles, 24, Commanders, 8. Cover a six-point favorites. Under 47.5 hits there. For the Eagles, I think Jalen Hurts might be Jalen him, as we tweeted out from the PFF Fantasy account. He might be him of the week this year. We didn't just tweet it. We had somebody Make the graphic? The, yeah. Had to do a jersey swap. Him. Mm -hmm. No turnover where he plays on the season. He's protecting the football and like going above and beyond. Like he's he's taking a legitimate next step. And yeah, they haven't played a world beater schedule. Just throw that out there: Vikings, Lions, Commanders. You know their their preseason win totals were you know. Lions were six and a half, Commander seven and a half, Vikings nine and a half. These weren't predicted to be playoff teams. So this isn't like the Dolphins start where they've kind of beaten two teams that were like your top comp in the AFC. That's still TBD, how the Eagles fare, you know, because the last time we saw them, quite obviously in the playoffs, it, it did not look good. But they're putting hurt on teams, not to do any wordplay that really wasn't trying. Because it's not his name's not Jalen Hurts, it's Jalen him. Um, but th this team's both sides of the football uh, house right now, house right now. Very. I, I never thought I'd say this prior to the season, but my God, how good does this J Jags Eagles one p.m. game? That might be the game of the week next week. 
it's probably the one I'm most excited for. So we'll get to the Jags here in a second, but two teams that vastly outperforming. I think even like if you had high expectations for these teams, they've probably exceeded said expectations. So very excited for that one. Uh, Commander's point of view, is Ron Rivera low-key one of the coaches that could get fired first? You know, they won the division two years ago when it was you're not a team that should have won the division. Won it with a below 500 record, right? But you thought that was the start of something. You're like, oh, okay. They're going to build upon that. And I get that they've had struggles at quarterback in that. You're, you're going you're gonna to have a tough time building upon that in today's NFL when Taylor Heineke or Carson Wentz is your starting quarterback. I get that. But this defense hasn't made any meaningful step forward at all either. In fact, it's regressed. We thought that was like what's going to push this defense into the, you know, a defense that can win you championships sort of defense. And it's been quite the opposite, in fact. So, I don't know. He's obviously, like I said, not had any help from a personnel perspective. But Ron Rivera, if he doesn't make it through the season, I, I don't think I'd be surprised. Don't think I'd be surprised this way. All right, Jags Chargers. If you want to go check out on PFF.com or the PFF app, which you should definitely download, PFF app. Very sick. I just have an article up today about the Jaguars offense and the biggest turnaround. And there's some interesting stats in there that you guys should definitely check out. I'll drop them here in a second. But my biggest thing was Devin Lloyd. Obviously, Trayvon Walker's been solid off the edge. I I don't think he's been like why they've turned it around, but he's good and good in the run game. Devin Lloyd's like why this defense looks different. He already has two picks, three pass breakups through three weeks. He made a play in coverage on Gerald Everett that was like 30 yards down the field, right in his grill. You just don't see linebackers capable of doing that. I called him NFL ready. I was like, this guy, you know, the speedy plays, he looks like he's NFL ready. I didn't even see this. Seventh overall grade linebacker in the NFL ready. True playmaker at a position that's so difficult to make plays early on in his career. Very impressed with Devin Lloyd. But yeah, this offense, the biggest thing to me in this offense, Doug Peterson is really a lot more horizontal than Urban Meyer ever was. And even Trevor Lawrence was at Clemson. If you think about Clemson's offense, how it operates, you almost always have like goes on the outside. It's a very vertically based offense. And so this is much different than anything Trevor's done uh, at any point in his career. But I think he's, I think it's good for him because it's really easing him into working the middle of the field, which he was so bad at last year. And so the biggest stat to me, um, from last year to this year. His passer rating over the middle of the field last year, 80.5. His passer rating over the middle of the field this year, 121.9. Seven yards per attempt last year over the middle of the field, 9.5 yards per attempt. He's actually averaging fewer yards per attempt and has a lower PFF passing grade working outside the numbers this year than he did last year. It's been Doug Peterson's ability, and if you just watch their offense, like there's a cross run on every play. There is a, they run shallow cross at will just to try to get space over the middle try to draw these linebackers safeties get them out of position chris kirk's obviously been a huge beneficiary of that and been a big reason why they're able to do that because of his ability to win routes consistently one-on-one when he is matched up with safety when he is matched up with linebacker that's easy money it's candy from baby and they've been killing teams did it against the charge with it so yeah i'm very impressed doug peterson he still got it. Still got the fastball. Um, other side of the ball, Chargers. 
if there's any team, I don't think anyone had a worse week than the Los Angeles Chargers. You could not, Rashawn Slater's out for the year. Word just came down, charged left tackle, out for the year. I don't think there's a bigger loss for a team than that because you already had such liability at tackle. And I don't know what they're necessarily going to do. Trey Pipkins, Storm Norton sounds awful to me, though. If you're a Chargers fan, I think uh, I don't want to say I don't want to like say it's over, but it it might be over this season. That I that level of tackle play is going to be difficult to win a Super Bowl with. We need to find a way to quantify. Like you know how at the beginning every year you're always like, I just got to see it from the Chargers because they just like yes shit just doesn't happen for them. Like we got to find a way to like quantify that because and I'm not being a hater like I am a Cincinnati sports fan I have seen the wheels fall off of my teams in every way shape or form possible and like it just injuries or like what have like it just it happens every fucking year to them so it's there's got to be something we got to quantify it uh, yeah I literally wrote down here are we surprised I mean we're not because it as you said it happens every year but there were so many reasons to think this team was going to be different or just like that if they could avoid it could be different but Slater out for the season, Bosa, groin, maybe out for a while, Herbert nursing broken ribs or whatever it is he's nursing that they're so coy about, but still playing him down 28 in the fourth with backup tackles and getting him just shredded. On the first two plays, down 28, when they send him back out there, gets rocked right in the midsection. Sure, that's helping his recovery time. I'm, I'm sure this injury that he's going to be dealing with for a while as Brand Staley reiterated after the game. I'm sure multiple shots to his chest is helping that recovery. Actually, that's just a massage. That's that's what he needs to get back into shape. Um, but yeah, his reasoning, man, his reasoning for why he kept him out there was kind of a tough sell him saying that Justin Herbert, it meant a lot to him to finish the game with his teammates. Ugh, that one's like if it means a lot to him finish the game with the teammates and you're down 28, run the ball five times. We you just know? got some bad Hand teammates. It Hand it off. No, no offense, but like <laughs> if I was a teammate, I'd be like, dude, go sit down. Yes, please. Yes, like I need you better next week. Exactly. Go sit down. You don't have anything left to prove. That was such a wild explanation to me. Um, yeah, that, and and even so, even take the injury out of it. Say he's not injured at all. I don't want my starting quarterback out there down 28 anyway. You know, I, I truly don't. 28 with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. I don't want him standing in there taking the shots he's, with two backup offense tackles. I don't want him standing in there taking the shots, even if fully healthy. So that was that was tough. That, that, I said no, no team had a worse week than Chargers. That's about as bad as it gets. All right, Rams, Cardinals. Rams win it in a holy – Uninteresting game, honestly. There, there were some, there were some duds in the schedule. Some, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to a couple more here that were on that were just like, God, this is, this is not the offensive football we've come to expect with COVID when defenses were just unprepared. This is different. Um, but the Rams, though, it's like, hey, we don't, we might not look great, but look at the rest of the NFC West. At least we're not them, you know. At least we're not the Cardinals. At least we're not the 49ers who lose our starting quarterback and have Jimmy G making what might be the worst quarterback play in NFL history that we'll get to in a little bit. At least we're not them. Like, we, we may not be blowing these teams out. This may, 
we may be coming down to the wire on the Falcons against the Falcons. We may be coming down to the wire against the Cardinals. But at least we're not them. That's my biggest takeaway from the Rams because it truly wasn't like a, a massively exciting game for them. Other side of the ball, though, I'll say this. I, I want to see what this team looks like with DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore first. Like, give Cliff that long. Give him through that. As long, just give him not Greg Dortch and A.J. Green, you know? Because it, it is an offense that is predicated a lot on talent in terms of, like, they, they're asking guys to make plays. Not a lot of schemed easiness in it. So let's at least get that, because I thought Hollywood looked good in this game, but let's at least get those three, the trio, DeAndre, Hollywood, Rondale, give them some run, see how it looks, and then we can make some judgment. But until those guys are on the field, the offense is going to be a whew. I said last week, it's going to look like a high school offense. All right, Falcons-Seahawks. Uh, this one, again, a number one pick overall type of bowl. But it did crack me up. Arthur Smith, after the This Isn't Fantasy Football last week, when talking about Kyle Pitts' targets, Kyle Pitts' lack thereof. Kyle Pitts gets eight targets, five catches, 87 yards, five first downs. And, oh, by the way, they win with that. Funny how, still no touchdowns. Funny how that works, though. Yeah, still no touchdowns. But still, like, oh, maybe getting the ball to your best player is good. Maybe giving the ball to our top five pick who's nailing at tight end is a good thing. Maybe. Seahawks side of the ball. Um, encouraging signs to these tackles, right? Uh, especially Abe Lucas because that's a third-round pick. The, you're starting a third-round pick at tackle is dangerous game right out the gate. It, the amount in NFL, so like since I've been do the grading NFL play, players, 2013, it's the first year I did that. The amount of guys who have come in, drafted outside the first round at the tackle position, and been competent, you can like count on one hand, if that. Uh, there's not a lot. It doesn't happen. Abraham Lucas, seven pressures allowed, 150 pass blocking snaps. Not, not you know, not blowing anyone out the water by any means. Still an average pass blocking grade on the year, but average for a third-round pick at off tackle, who was an elite athlete, by the way. Tested out like an absolute freak at the combine. Have to, have to, have to be encouraged if you're a Seahawks fan. But there's, there's a lot to fix. About. Like there's, there's a lot of avenues for improvement. Tackle, though, looks like they've already hit that one out the park. So a good starting point for them. All right, on to some games with a little more, a little more impactful. One being the Packers Bucks. Packers come away winning 14 to 12 as one and a half point dogs under hits their 41 and a half. And for the Packers perspective, the kind of takeaway here is this is, this is how they're going to win games this year. This is what the team's going to look like winning games. It's not going to be the 35 to 20 laughers. You know, this is like, this is a blowout for them in, in terms of like, that's how, this is how, it looks when you play well as the Packers team because there's, they're not going to have the explosive plays, the high-level offense. It's not going to be 30-plus points per game consistently. It's going to be ball control, rely on this defense. So th this, is, this is what it's going to look like. It's good. Job well done, Packers. Now, Aaron Jones fumbled at the goal line, kind of made it closer than it should have been, but job well done. 
Bucks. I don't know if, like, what do you do when you're down your backup left tackle and starting three wide receivers? Do you really, do you really have a takeaway from that? So we're always like asking on the speak pipes, like, you know, call in with your takes so we can grade your takes. My take is like, if I was a Bucks fan, which I'm not, but if I was a Bucks fan, like I'd almost kind of be encouraged. Yeah. Like you almost beat. This is your, which, this is your competition. Yeah. You, you know? almost beat like what's probably still the best team in the NFC with a shell of your own roster. And you didn't really play good. Yeah. Th- this is still your there. primary competition. And you, you're like, you went toe to toe with nothing offense, like with no one, no stars at your premium positions. So yeah, I, I think you have to be a little encouraged. Um, if you're a Bucks fan, at least not come away from that game and be like, damn, that, that's that's probably the uh, same way the Bills feel, right? You're, you're down so many starters to hang with a team that's probably your, one of your top competition. You're fine. You're fine. 49ers, Broncos, team that's maybe not fine. 49ers lose 10 to 11. <laughs> 10 to 11. Um, Broncos obviously went out, right? It's one and a half point dogs. Under hits there, 44 and a half. Quite obviously. There's Was never- that a score, Gami? Uh, I doubt it, just because it's so low, low scoring. There's probably like very few low scoring games that have not been done, but definitely an odd score. Uh, we have to debate this though. Was this the worst quarterback play in NFL history? The Jimmy G um, debacle, the going out the back of the end zone, Dan Orlovskiing. First off, he Dan Orlovskied, then he threw a pick six. But because you're already orlovsky the pick six obviously doesn't count. But I don't think he the knew he had orlovsky So I don't think you can say, like, oh, he was just throwing it. Like, I think you could blame him for both. Like, remember, I think that might have been the worst quarterback play. He in made that decision before he yes. stepped out of the end zone. Yeah. Like, he was turning his shoulders and getting ready to set his feet. And when he set his feet is when he threw the ball. Yeah. So he was saying, I'm going there. Before he even stepped out. Yes. Before it was a safety. So, fuck. That was so bad. Um, which is wild, because they also had one of the best special teams plays. At least maybe, like, most improbable special team plays I've ever seen. The down the downing the ball at the, like, half-inch line. The ball hits literally as close to the goal line as I've ever seen a ball hit. The tip would have gone out had the ball rolled just a hair, but it felt it caught so flat that the tip doesn't come down out of bounds. The first person to bat it back in, his foot was about an inch from the goal line, and then they down it with the person who downs its foot also an inch by the goal line. So that was special teams porn right there. Um, Neil Hornsby, former PFF founder, I guess still PFS founder, big special teams enthusiast, probably – Broke out the lotion for that play uh, once the All-22 comes out. But still, all for naught, Broncos win because Russell Wilson is him. That's my takeaway for the Broncos. No, uh, Russell Wilson though did lead that comeback drive, but I, I hope I'm wrong about this. I, I really do. And they are 2-1. and one. Again, they're 2-1. and one. But just watching the Broncos offense and how it doesn't – fit together like you, you know that feeling where it's just like why are they making everything so hard why is every pass into like a contested window why is just like it not working 
I'm getting like 2021 Jaguars vibes where it's just like nothing feels right. Like, like no, there's no rhythm. There's no cohesiveness. It is just a jumbled mess week after week. And, and yeah, they come away with a win. Have to hats off. They are two and one. <laughs> Do you think they'll figure but, it out to some extent? But that's, that's what I'm like worried about. Like it's that's like, like unfair almost to expect like new coach, new quarterback, like just yes. a lot of newness all around to expect it just to be like, go and yes. it's good. Like but, that's, that's borderline unfair, but they are really fighting offense right now. So I hope I'm wrong, but that's just the vibes I'm getting at the moment. It's the vibes I'm getting. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code BALL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it is not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. All right, let's get to fun to watch. Where, kick it off with this. Not really any, watching anything here, but the Pro Bowl being replaced with a flag football and skills competition could actually make the game. Or, I guess no longer a game, but could make the event actually fun to watch. If they don't bring back longest pass, which I still go back and troll those, I still go back and watch those videos from late 90s when they had the, that event. If they don't bring that back, it, it's a massive, massive, massive missed opportunity. To not be able to see Justin Herbert versus Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes in a longest throw contest is criminal. Malik Willis may be out there. He wouldn't be a pro bowler. But like that, you have to have it, right? The, the, so you kind of touched on this on It's Just Football right before this, but like the way that they've gone now with like the skills competition where they're like doing the target throw stuff, like they're almost doing, or they're like trying to catch the ball from the drone. Like yeah. they're almost like going too far. They I need to simplify that. it. Like yes. they need to just do longest throw, uh, bench press, like just 
straight yeah. 40s, like guys running 40s, longest kick, uh, arm wrestling or tug of war, just like some yes. just primal yeah. shit like that. Like, I just want to see these dudes just like go at each other in like very basic, like shit that you can do in your backyard. You that, know? That's Stuff the like key. That. That's the key, right? They've gone too far. They're trying to like create their own games that they're trying to reinvent the wheel. Like the wheel's been invented. We have simple games that everyone knows of that people want to see. Like you yeah, said, I, I want to watch Larry Allen bench press like 50 times or whatever that was. Right, like press. that's awesome. Like just fastest man, just sprints. Like that. Like we don't need to have a game within a game. We don't need to have, you know, Trayvon Diggs at a board full of holes trying to play defense. It's like if you want to do that, like have them play soccer or something. Have them do a PK shootout. Like we have, we have things like that. We just want to see these guys compete in some manner that's like an actually engaging competition and not just like three guys out there half-assing. We want that. It also needs to be in Hawaii. I also, yeah, I, I should have, I should have looked fine, that up. So, okay. I didn't, I didn't know it was in Vegas and Vegas is cool, but like something about the pro bowl in Hawaii and they need to bring back the, um, the original jerseys too, like with the original color scheme, like the blue NFC and the red AFC, they've switched yeah. to like the gray and neon, which I'm a fan of the neon trend in sports, but for the pro but bowl, I like the, the like the old American school. Yeah. With the scheme. stars all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Those are hot. All right. Next one up here. Aaron Rodgers after the game. This one's interesting to me. I need to hear more about this. Now, obviously, he does his McAfee hit on Tuesdays, and, and there'd be malpractice for McAfee not to ask him about it. I'm sure he will. But Rodgers implying that before the two-point conversion, he saw something on the jumbotron that let him know what they were going to do and that he relayed it to the defense coordinator and knew what they were going to do in the last play. We have the audio. Play the audio, please. So you come all the way down and talk to Matt LaFleur during that final drive with the defense on. What was going through you during the two-point conversion, especially after you saw the fact that they took the five-yard penalty? Well, they showed it on the previous play, too. It was a delay on both plays. But uh, sometimes you see things in the game. Sometimes the Jumbotron shows things they probably shouldn't show, even at home. Uh, I saw something and just passed on the information. Saw something. Pass on the information. I need to hear more. I, I can't imagine. Like, what could he have possibly seen? I don't know. But I want to know. I would like to know. All right. Last one here. This one came from. This one you're going to need the. Uh, this one I honestly hate. I might even put this in the not fun to watch, which we're going to get to in a sec. But you got a little horns down. A little post-game scene after Texas goes down over the weekend. Here it is right here. Boom. Boom. Texas Tech upset. I hate this video, and here's why I hate this video. It ruins Storm in the field. I guarantee after this video comes out, there is now, after a fan pushes a Texas player, there is now going to be a moratorium on Storm in the field in college football. At least maybe like the Big 12 or something's going to come down and say no more Storm in the field, student sections can't because of this. Even if it's like a hit that probably wouldn't have even gotten flagged if it was in the field of play. Hate that, hate that student. But have to respect the horns down cameraman. Uh, not more not fun to watch here though, and it pains me to do this. But we're gonna have to start a conversation because no one, no one wants to really publicly talk about it. But everyone knows what I'm talking about. Lee Corso is looking rough on College Game Day, and Terry Bradshaw is looking rough on Fox pregame. Lee Corso, do you know how old Lee Corso is, Quinn? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, because I just looked it up. 
You can even see it on the screen right here if you're watching on YouTube. 87. He's 87 years old. That's, that's yeah. He's 87 years old. Every time I hear that, it blows my mind. He should not be out there talking about college. It's been it, a And grind. he shows 87 too, right? Sometimes you're yes. around people that are around 90 and you're like, oh, wow, they're really sharp. Like they got it together. Like good for you. But unfortunately for Lee, it's. Well, the thing is, he didn't. Like he, that. he didn't at 80. You know, he was that guy until, you know, 83, 84, 85. Like he was. You were like, oh, he's still kicking. You know, maybe he doesn't watch the games. You're like, no shit, what's going on? He couldn't tell you anything schematically they're doing. Whatever, sure, I don't care about that. He's the entertainment. Like, he's the entertainer there on the on the broadcast. But now he's lost even, like, that fastball. And I feel somewhat similarly about Terry Bradshaw. And now Bradshaw's not up to Corso's age, 74. But I, it's not great, man. Like, we, we, need, we need to as a society, like, be like, hey, they've had it. Let's give some other, someone else a chance. You know, like, let's give some, some young guys. Terry's like, 73. I just looked that okay. one up, too. Let's give, let's give those guys a chance. Like, uh, we don't need to be rehashing it. And they were great in their prime. No one's debating that. But sometimes it's just time. And it's hard. It, it has been hard to listen to those guys. But it just, it's over. It's over. All right. On to the mailbag. Just a few questions here this week from you guys. Uh, just a couple. First off, one comes from John Binner on Twitter. I ultimately think the Giants win five to seven games, but there's a very possible scenario where they're 4 no. Giants are favored versus Dallas, and if they win, they'll be favored versus the Bears. I don't even think if they have to win. I think they'll be favored versus the Bears. Uh, and then if this happens, the Bucks lose to the Packers week three, Bucks beat the Chiefs week four, Bills beat the Dolphins week three. That one did not happen, actually. Bills lose to the Ravens week four. Eagles would have to be upset Carson Wentz in the revenge game or the Doug Peterson revenge game. Meaning, Giants could be the low, last undefeated team in the NFL after four weeks. It is possible. Uh, now he needs the Dolphins to lose to the Bengals next week to make it be so. And the Eagles, obviously, to lose two. Jacksonville Jaguars but that would be wild if the Giants are sitting there and it's like they are favored this week I picked them to win against the Cowboys um his final question being could this be the first team in NFL history to be the last undefeated team and then miss the playoffs I mean yeah that's a there's a real opportunity here for that to happen and that would that would that'd be something that'd be a great I, trivia question I feel like that's not extremely uncommon though like i feel like so? every year there yeah i feel the like every year there's like a team, okay maybe not the last undefeated team but what I, where i was going with it is like i feel like there's a team every year that starts like three and oh or four yes. and you look that's at them and you're like that team's a fraud that's yeah. paper tiger they're not making the playoffs that that's one's pretty not common. common yeah but if they were to go four and and obviously they travel to the packers then week five unlikely you're not traveling to the packers that's actually a london game uh week five Unlikely that one ends up being, you know, 5-0. and But I can see him being 4-0 and no one else being 4-0, and, and that would be, that'd be a sight to behold. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it really does show you how much schedule matters and how much, you know, we have these takeaways every week, but a lot of it's, you know, who you played this last week. If you start out playing trash cans, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to – going to give people a higher opinion of you than if you played you know a murderous row all right last mailbag question here 
And these are always my favorite because I always dive too deep into them even though I don't need to. But he said, Clint Green on Twitter says, using active NFL players, if you put together a full team of players drafted from LSU, LSU, versus a few of players drafted from Ohio State, who would be the better team? And he said Burrow could count for both to make it more interesting. And it would have to be Burrow counting for both to make it more interesting. I love that caveat. Yeah, yeah, this guy's just so good that he counts for both. You know, yeah. Love that caveat. Because if it was Justin Fields, we, we would it would not be Ohio State. But if Burrow counts for Ohio State, it's going to be Ohio State. You know, I'm going to read off some roster for you. Quarterback Burrow, running back Zeke, wide receiver core of, man, you could get a lot in here, but Terry McLaurin, Michael Thomas, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave could be in that mix too, obviously. Uh, Kurt Samuel in that mix too. Tight end, Jeremy Rucker, uh, not great tight end production there, but whatever. Uh, offensive line, though, is, is a nice O-line. Jeremy, uh, excuse me, Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, Corey Lindsley, Andrew Norwell, Nicholas Petit-Frere. Like, Norwell and Petit-Frere, eh, not, not ideal. But as far as one school O-line goes, that's one of the better ones out there. Is that a better O-line than he plays with right now? Uh, Burrow? Possibly. It's close. I did not expect Lyle Collins to be as bad as he has been. I will say that. Uh, the defense side of the ball, though, this is where it, the game changes, and it's the Bosa brothers. You will, you're just not finding, you're not finding a duel like those two from any other school. And then pair them with Cam Hayward, and it's like, okay, this defensive line is terrifying. Um, so those two, Cam Hayward, Devon Hamilton, Pete Werner, Jerome Baker at linebacker, and then secondary is just filthy as well. Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, Jeffrey Okuda, Von Bell, Malik Hooker. Uh, Ohio State wins this one, in my opinion. And it's because of that line of scrimmage. Because, yeah, if you get Joe Burrow on LSU, receiving core is nasty. You know, they got the flash positions down pat. Leonard Fournette, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Jarvis Landry. That's hot. It's very hot. But then here's who's blocking for them. Sadiq Charles, Trey Turner, Ethan Pochich, Ed Ingram, and Lyle Collins. Lyle Collins is probably your best one there, which, again, as Bengals fans know. Could you convince uh, Big Wit to come out of retirement? Mm, you'd have to. You would have to for this. You probably could, but it would, it would be necessary. Even then, I'm not sure that interior is going to get pooped on. And then your D-line looks like, you know, Devon Godshaw, Richard Lawrence, Dan- Daniel Hunter, Arden Key, just not the same teeth. Lineback core, Devin White, Patrick Queen. Secondary's on par, if not better. No, say on par. That's probably worse. On par. I'll go back for it. They're close. Derek Stingley, Patrick Pearson, Christian Fulton, Tyron Matthew, Jamal Adams. It's a good secondary. We're assuming full health here. But OSU's D-line, different animal. Not even starting Chase Young. Chase Young's coming off the bench. Yikes. All right, time to end it before our interview with Tanner McKee with Football Jason Power Rankings, we set off top, announcing crews in honor of Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels. Gave them a few-week few trial run, get their feet wet, a couple weeks there, really know what they're bringing to the table. And of the A squads, so of the, you know, NBC, ESPN, Fox, CBS, and Amazon, all the A squads, I think they're last. And I think they're number five on this list. They just... I don't think it's a good pairing from an energy perspective. They both bring the calming presence to their booths that they're in. They are, they are the guys who are kind of the, the low-key, 
you know, let the football speak guys. You can't have two of those in a booth, in my opinion. One's got to be, if not high energy, at least like a, a gravitas, like a power voice to them. Both are kind of not that. Like when, when Herb Street does it with Fowler, Fowler's got a very commanding voice, like a very direct. Like Joe Buck Fa- has a very Fowler's like excellent. That. Yeah, I, I think I think Fowler's the most underrated announcer. Yeah. Like just out there herb street Fowler's fowler as a duo is like my favorite duo to watch a game call a game but herb street michaels is just uh, something's off something's off number four on the list aikman buck and this is just because i, I aikman i feel like i don't want to hate too much but he just he doesn't bring it the way other color analysts bring it he's very one doesn't like provide any schematic insight he doesn't like go deep into the game at all it's all very like, wow, what a catch. That's a play that a guy needs to make in the league. It's like, okay, thanks, Aikman. Um, Still very old school in his analysis, yeah. too. Like, yes. you know, the team that establishes the run and scores more points today is going to win. It's like, mm, yeah, okay. There you go, Troy. I really thought hard about that one. <laughs> Just exactly. Um, true. I, Buck's good, though. I, I, no problem with Joe Buck. Is it a you know, play-by-play? But Aikman gets fourth there because of that. Three. Greg Olson, Burkhart. Kevin Burkhart? I didn't write it down. Greg Olson, though. Olson, Olson's very good as, as a color guy. Um, that's the Fox number one duo this year. Obviously replacing Aikman and Buck. He's, he's been very good. Uh, I think he just brings a good sort of like mix of, you know, talking about what's actually, you know, a little deeper into the game than you'd expect, like, you know, a little modern analysis with, you know, fairly good voice. So there are three. Romo Nance, too. I still am a Romo fan. I know he's had a lot of backlash in recent years. And there are those articles about him, you know, maybe mailing some stuff in. But I still do like Romo on the call. Um, I, I feel like he's, like, excited about the game. Yeah, the uh, yeah, like his, like, oohs and ahs and the, like, the, I don't know, Jim. Like, that has gotten hated on. But I think that's like a little bit of like Nickelback syndrome, like you, like people see on like Facebook and shit back in yes. the day, like oh I'm supposed to hate Nickelback, but it's like they mm-hmm. got hits, and yeah. like I feel like people think they're supposed to hate on Romo for doing that stuff, but like that's pretty entertaining when he like when Jamar Chase took that uh, yes. catch to the house against the Chiefs last year, and he's like drawing it up on the screen, going like do 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 do, like in the middle of a broadcast, like that's funny. I like it. Yeah. Yes, I, I think he brings like a, he's excited about what's going on in the football field. You know, you can feel that he's, even if maybe he hasn't, doesn't put in the legwork that he used to or whatever the reports were, you know that he's watching this game like a fan would, but has you know, more insight than your average fan. So still a fan of that duo. Collinsworth Tarico is number one because he signs my paychecks. No, I, the NBC whole broadcast is top notch. Uh, there's a reason they win fucking Emmy every single year for it. Yeah, it's um, because they're in coots with PFF. Yeah, that's it. with us. And they that's get a lot why. of data from PFF. That helps. That helps broadcasting teams. Make sure to reach out and check that out. All right, those are your top five announcing crews doing it in the NFL today. Now let's have an interview with Tanner McKee, Stanford quarterback. Got to say this. I came in to the interviews when I first started the show. Uh, I, I told one of our... Uh, I told Dave Safaro here, who who helps a lot with the booking of these guests. I'm like, hey, you know, 
looking to get guys, you know, longer form interviews, guys, you know, you know, just find out about them, whatever. And the first two interviews he books are Andre Carter from Army and Tanner McKee, who's uh, a Mormon. And I'm like, dude, you did you just hang me out to dry here? Am I going to get this buttoned up Army guy and this buttoned up Mormon guy who aren't going to say shit? Tanner McKee was not whatsoever. Yeah, he's an interesting cat. He is an interesting dude, just a very committed you know, LDS faith. He went on a two-year Mormon mission, but was not what I was expecting at all. Definitely a guy with a lot of personality to him who um, things aren't going his way at Stanford this year from a win-loss perspective, but he's been playing very well from a prospect perspective. So check this one out. This is a guy you're definitely going to be hearing from sometime a lot next spring. All right. Joined now by Tanner McKee, starting quarterback for the Stanford Cardinal. And I'm just going to address the elephant in the room here, Tanner. I wore my Irish shirt today here. I am a proud Notre Dame grad. Uh, glad you weren't in person to do this interview because it might come to fisticuffs. And if that were the case, you'd kick my ass because you're 6'6", 226. So glad you could join, but this might be a little contentious. So I'm going to throw it back to October 13th, 2012. I don't know if you were a Stanford fan before you ended up going to Stanford, but was Stefan Taylor in, in that goal line series against Notre Dame back then? I, I did not know. 2012, I was 12 years old. I was a Stanford fan. I don't know. I don't know if I followed them that closely, though, back then. Okay. Well, that, that meant a lot more to me as an Notre Dame. That was the year they went to the national championship game, but it wasn't okay. just goal line stand. I think he may have actually been in on second down, but Notre Dame refs, we'll take it. Uh, so you were a Stanford football fan before actually going to Stanford? I was. I think I really started becoming a fan. I mean, when Stanford started winning um, the Pac 12 and the Rose Bowls, like, 2013 2015 i guess 2012 as well um that's when i really started becoming a big fan the andrew law christian mccaffrey that area and then and through that era um and then all throughout high school i was i was a pretty big stanford fan as well so coach shaw never throws on like a clip of those games to try to pump you up before a game he doesn't do any of those motivational tactics i mean he does coach davita sometimes will put on we'll have like little trivia questions of who played at what college or who played at this game. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't the great at those. Um, I got to get a little better, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely learning my history. Does coach Shaw ever show actual emotion behind closed doors or is it the guy you see on TV? Is that the guy that's there in the locker room too? I would say the most fired up I see coach Shaw probably in the locker room before games. Um, I don't think, I mean, nobody really sees it because there aren't any cameras in there or, Halftime before games, that's the most fired up that Coach Shaw gets and tries to get us going, which, which is great to see. What's the most upset you've ever seen Coach Shaw get? <laughs> most upset? Um, I mean, just dump – I would probably say dump things at practice, things that we pride ourselves in being in Stanford men, right? And so um, things that he gets complaints with people that were disrespectful in the dining hall or – um, just dumb things at practice that could hurt another player, things like that, that just like are out of who we are, out of our characteristics. I think that's what really tips him over the edge. That makes sense. What, what was his recruiting pitch to you to come to Stanford initially? What, what was his sell to you about Stanford? Um, to be honest, I don't feel like he had to do too much work. Um, Stanford, especially for me, kind of sold itself um just being the industry the the school that it is academically um obviously a great school um athletically as well with football 
Um, it was in California, great weather. Um, I love the people here, the coaches, pro style offense. Um, there were just so many things that definitely marked or checked off all the big boxes for me, but um, the little boxes as well that were really important to me, I thought I thought was great. How, how important was, you mentioned pro style offense, and that's always been dating back to Andrew Luck, you know, in the Harbaugh days when he brought in there. That's kind of been Stanford and the ethos of it, and it's been a big selling point for a lot of recruits. How big was that for you going to there initially? Uh, I, th I think it was definitely really big. Um, I always had aspirations to go to the NFL and um, talk to a lot of people, a lot of um, NFL players, and they're saying it really helps going into um, a pro-style offense. I mean, you see Davis Mills. Um, things happen in the NFL, turnovers crazy, people getting traded. There's so many different things, and he just stepped in and took over the offense. Um, it was really a, la a lateral move for him. So um, I, I definitely think that's a that's a very valid sales pitch, and, and it's really important. Yeah, something that I've noticed from your tape that it's like your footwork, you, you know, the ball handling, a lot of stuff that not to say guys struggle with early on in the NFL, but something that's the transition for guys who don't come from an offense like that, that you already do. And like, that's going to give you a leg up. So you went on an LDS mission prior to going to Stanford. We'll get into that in a little bit, but was even, were coaches even a factor in your decision considering that like, Hey, two years from now, these guys might not be there. You know, the guy who's recruiting me right now may not even be in the building. So were coaches even a factor in your decision at that point? Um, yeah, I would say they were definitely a factor, but in the back of your mind, you always know that college coaches, they, they change all the time. So, uh, I remember looking at different teams of who was on, I got recruited and I was going on my mission in 2018. I was looking at teams and their dynamics back in 2016. And it was so different. Then I come back on my mission in 2020 and obviously things are so different again. So, um, it's definitely a big factor. Um, but honestly, that was another thing that was great about Stanford, um, a lot of Stanford guys that are here, the coaching staff didn't change. Um, and, and coach Shaw is still here doing his thing. So it was, it was great. So you also consider strongly consider BYU, you know, as a Mormon, a lot of, you know, people that go there are Mormons. Um, you would have been the same recruiting class though, as Zach Wilson, if you had gone to BYU, didn't take a mission. You ever think about maybe revisionist history, how it would have gone if you go there, don't take a mission and, you know, usurp him and how things would have been different. Maybe it was you who would have been in the headlines all last week instead of him. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Honestly, I haven't thought about that much. Um, but yeah, it would have been really interesting. My my dad went to BYU. My my little sister is going there now. My older sister just graduated. Um, so yeah, it, it would have been really interesting. I haven't put a lot of thought to that, but yeah, that's funny. So let's talk a little bit more about your mission. You went to Paranagua, Brazil for two years and lost 15 pounds of muscle, you said, over those two years. H how tough was it knowing that like, you're just, you see all these guys, you know, as an athlete that your entire career, probably your entire life, it had probably been, you know, sports and every waking minute, you're probably doing something to going from that to probably not picking up a football for weeks on end. How mentally taxing was that? And how, what, how was kind of your outlook on your athletic career while you were down there? I mean, yeah, it was really different. Um, obviously in high school, everything was um, football and school. Um, that was the main focus. And then getting to Brazil, my first area was right outside Curitiba, a place called Alucaria. And it was funny because a few months earlier, I was competing at the Elite 11 with all these quarterbacks. 
Um, and once a week, I would get emails from my family and they'd give me the update on how is it going, um, how college football is going. Um, and I remember struggling with the language. I didn't know a lot of Portuguese before, but uh, my first companion, he was a native Brazilian, didn't speak any English. And so the first couple of months were definitely really hard. But I remember washing dishes um, and my companion was talking to me. I'm trying to understand him. And I got a phone call and somebody said, Trevor Lawrence just won the national championship. It's crazy. Um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, a few months ago, I was competing with this kid. He just won the national championship. I'm washing dishes in a third world country in Brazil with a guy that I could barely even understand. Um, so it's definitely crazy. It definitely puts things into perspective. Um, but I loved everything about my mission. Um, definitely a great learning experience for me. I feel like I come back uh, more mature. Um, definitely learned a lot of things about how to be a leader, how to bring different cultures together, um, how to relate with people. So I definitely am really thankful for my mission. Yeah. You've said before in, in interviews that it really helped with the mental side. Like it really helped you mentally going there and then coming back. Have you noticed that change from how you performed in high school, you know, as a leader at the quarterback position to then how you're performing now at Stanford and, and just what you can all put on your plate? Um, yeah, I, I would say mainly, um, the big help of serving mission is mentally. Cause like you said, it's definitely not a physical advantage by any means. Um, walking around, walking, I don't know, six, seven, eight miles a day in a third world country, sweating, eating rice, uh, rice and beans every day. Um, doesn't exactly get you in the greatest shape, uh, let alone not being able to throw a football because nobody really knows what football is because it's mainly soccer. Um, so Definitely the mental side of um, trying to stay, um, trying to stay determined. Waking up at six thirty, doing push-ups, trying to do curls with any weight I can find, sit-ups, band work, things like that. Staying self-motivated, um, and I really feel like coming back. Um, I mean, even in quarantine, I felt like it was a lot of old transition because we couldn't go to gyms or anything. So uh, I was doing a lot of the same workouts that I did on my mission during quarantine. Um, but I would say mainly the leadership aspect has helped me a ton on my mission for sure. How, how rough was that first practice back? You get back to Stanford, you put on the pads for the first time. How, how much, how much was the transition getting back into it? Uh, it was actually pretty good. I remember coming back. Um, so I came back the height of COVID. Um, I went to the park. I remember throwing with my dad, uh, my brother-in-law and my little brother, just throwing the football around at the park. Um, and I felt, I felt pretty accurate, felt pretty good with the football, um, but I was just really out of shape. 20-minute throwing session, my arm's super tired. Next day, I'm really sore. Like, I try to do like a legit workout. I'm gassed after 20, 25 minutes. Um, so definitely like Stanima and getting back in shape was really big, getting my arm back in shape. Um, but coming back to practice, it being away from football, you realize how much you miss it, how much you love it. Coming back, it definitely gave me um, a new burst of, of energy to work hard, to play the sport that I love because it was taken away from me for two years. So it definitely put things into perspective for sure. So you come back in 2020. Davis Mills is the incumbent starter there, former five-star. Is his neck as big as in real life as it looks on TV and in the pictures? See... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as quarterbacks and as football players, we try to have like big necks. I heard it helps with concussions and stuff like that. So 
I never noticed anything in person, um, but Davis is a great guy. So is he doing like neck workouts on the side to try to build it up? <laughs> I, I've never, I've never seen him do that. We actually do a few neck workouts here at Stanford. We did some today, um, but yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, your, yours doesn't quite look quite like his, but uh, the next year, 2021, come back and, and year starts off with a little quarterback competition. You and Jack West are splitting time in that Kansas State game. What is that like mentally? Because it has to feel weird where you're like obviously you want this guy to do well obviously you want the team to do well but if he does too well then you're not playing and that's a difficult position to be in how did you balance that and what was your mindset going through that quarterback competition yeah it's definitely difficult because obviously you want the best for your team and that's got to be your main focus but also you want the best for yourself you want to succeed you want to be on the field you want to play um and you're going to compete in everything so um, I think the approach that I took was when we're in the game, when Jackson, I'm, I'm going to be a great teammate. We're, we're all here for the team. And then when we're in practice or conditioning drills or lifting or anything, and it's any type of one-on-one competition, then it's me against, against Jack, against anybody, against anybody else. So, um, definitely like in team settings, um, you want everybody to do their best, even if it's the guy you're competing next to. Um, but in practice settings, when we're trying to push each other and, and compete, um, that's competition. And everybody knows when you step on the field, you, we could be brothers off the field, but on the field, it's, it's competition. So um, that's kind of the approach that I try to take with it. Um, so overall, yeah, it was it was a good experience. What was one moment from last season that you would want to relive again if you could? What was the highlight of your first season at starting quarterback at Stanford? Um, I mean, you, the, probably the first one, the USC game was awesome. Um, growing up in Southern California, grew up a huge SC fan. Um, remember going to all those games. My dad's ringtone was the USC fight song. Um, I knew probably 90% of the, the team down in USC. Um, so just walking out of the tunnel with all the lights and the smoke and just realized like, I've been to dozens of games here and now I'm actually on the field about to have my first start and play a game here. And then, um, we, we had a great game. So I probably, that, that was probably my first surreal moment. Um, just being ready for the moment and taking it all in, but also walking in and just remember like being a kid, like I dreamed of these moments and like, now I'm finally here type thing. So yeah, it was, that was a surreal moment for me. Well, let's do the flip side. What was one play or maybe a game that you go back and you want to change how you, how you performed, what you did on the football field. What is one moment from last season that really sticks out? Mm, there's definitely a lot of games to improve on. Um, interesting. I'm trying to think of a specific game. Um, I feel like there was a lot of things I could have learned from the Washington game. Um, I've watched that game a lot on film with just different reads I'd probably say Washington and UCLA were the two biggest teams UCLA definitely tried to um change things up defensively with a lot of different disguises um they knew I was a pretty new quarterback being a starter um so they would show field rotation and send a boundary cat or show all these different things um that me personally I have never seen before um, kind of caught us off guard. So I'd probably say just um, 
having a little more experience now, being able to see that again and uh, read their disguises, I think would be really beneficial. Yeah, I'm looking at your grades here right now. And the Washington one does stick out a little bit. That was your lowest graded game from last season. Let's go, let's go to a little bit of a higher moment, though, from last year. Let's talk about the Oregon upset. What's going through your mind after you almost get split in half by Kayvon Thibodeau <laughs> on that game-winning drive? And you're laying down on the field. And I thought, I'm at, I, was, I was actually at the Notre Dame game that day. They lost to Cincinnati. And I'm at the bar afterwards at Brothers. And I'm telling my buddies, Mike, dude, we got to watch Tanner McKee. This guy's real deal NFL prospect. I got to watch this. And you're just, you get rocked in the middle of that drive on the game tying touchdown drive, laying down the turf. I, I thought you were out of the game, truthfully. What's going through your mind at that moment? Um, yeah, so it was just win at all costs. Uh, I remember getting hit, kind of being on the ground, kind of struggling to breathe a little bit, just like thinking that my ribs could be broken, but like hoping it's just like the air knocked out of me. So I'm just kind of like there, just trying to regain my breath, like making sure everything's okay. So I get off and I remember the doctor kind of like poking around and it wasn't, it wasn't hurting bad enough for me to like think that it was broken. So I was like, okay, if I can throw a football, are you gonna let me go back in? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I'm like, okay. So we threw a football a few times, um, was feeling pretty decent. So, and thankfully there was like a pretty long TV break. So I kind of had like time to get checked out, throw the football a few times. Um, so I really only missed one snap, which was great. Um, and then coming back into the game, it was none of that really matters now. Nobody's really going to care. You just have to go out, execute, win the game. So um, the rest was history. We had a great play. Um, Elijah with the big touchdown. Um, and then in overtime, John with the slant running through like three different guys. Um, that was that was a big moment for us, for sure. All right, let's fast forward a little bit to this season because we brought up the pro-style offense a little earlier. But a little birdie told me that there may be some shakeup coming to Stanford's offense this year. There, we may be seeing a little bit different Stanford offense than we have in years past. What are some things you're looking forward to doing? Or what are some things you maybe saw last year on tape that you guys were doing that you're like, hey, maybe we try some of this. Hey, maybe we do less of this. What are you looking forward to about the offense this upcoming season? Yeah, I think we're just changing a few things <clears throat> that will um, really, we're going to play to our strengths a lot, a lot better, I think. So um, we have very talented receivers, a very talented running back, an experienced line. Um, so definitely going to um, put the ball in the air, definitely going to move it downfield. Um, new different, some new concepts that uh, we haven't run in the past. So I'm very excited for, for this upcoming season and what we have in store for sure. Is there a game you got circled on the calendar where it's like this game? I got it. I, got it. <sighs> I mean, we're, we're looking forward to all of them. Um, you can't look past any game. Um, great, great coach speak right there. Coach yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to give like a, a non, you know, um, like a player answer. I mean, obviously USC week two, um, have a ton of hype, um, played them well last year, but obviously that doesn't mean anything, um, with a new coach, tons of new players. Um, that's going to be a really exciting game. Mm, Don't worry, I, I talked trash to Lincoln Riley already. Yes, <laughs> when we went down to the Super Bowl, I was telling him that he's not doing shit at USC. So don't worry, you, you guys. <laughs> um, let, let's get outside of football, though. You, you played a bunch of sports growing up. I, I read that you played baseball, basketball, volleyball as well. Why? Why did you settle on football ultimately? Um, I feel like I really enjoyed football most out of all, all those sports. Um, 
I played basketball. I mean, I'm six, six, um, kind of just to work on athletic skills and, you know, ball handling. I played growing up. I enjoyed it. I didn't really see myself pursuing a basketball career, but, um, obviously it was great footwork training, kept me athletic, kept my vertical up. Um, volleyball, honestly, I started playing because I was a pitcher in baseball. Um, and just, it was pretty tough going from pitching all day and then going to football practice and being a quarterback. It was just a lot of wear and tear in my arms. So I was like, okay, I, I need to find a new sport to play in the spring. And then, uh, my sister played volleyball. We'd always go to the gym and, and play volleyball. I thought it was pretty fun. So, um, just picked it up, started playing at the school and, that was, that was just a really fun sport to play. That was kind of just in my free time, go out, play volleyball, compete. And it, it was a great experience. How fast can you hit on a radar gun? What's the fastest you ever threw in baseball? Uh, that's tough. I don't know. Cause I stopped, I trained for my freshman year of high school, but I never played my freshman year because it was just going to be too much on my arm. Once I realized how much training goes into like high school football Honestly, I cannot remember. I would be really curious to like throw a baseball now and kind of see how fast I could throw, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Well, how far can you throw a football? Like what's the farthest you've, um, I'd probably say about 65. Okay. So I don't know what that, if there's an equation, that equates. Why, why do you think more? So, you know, we had Tim Tebow go the baseball route, but he went outfield. I believe we got golden Tate now. Yeah. Wide receiver trying to play baseball. Why do you think more quarterbacks like you know Ryan Mallett, you fail out of the NFL, don't go try to play baseball and pitch? I feel like that's a easy transition, no? I mean, I, yeah, it's it's definitely it's a completely different motion because um, baseball's long and big. You have a lot of time. You need a ton of torque. Football, it's quick. It's now. It's timing. Um, so I wonder if the motion really is super different because I remember so many guys when I was trying to pitch were like, Oh, he throws like a quarterback. He doesn't throw like a pitcher or things like that. So it's definitely a different motion. So I wonder if that plays into it. Gotcha. Probably does. Probably does. I'm probably just throwing shit at a wall here. All right. So you said you're six, six, but are you actually six, six? Like when you go to the combine and get measured in, will you be six, six, or is that a collegiate bump them up two inches, six, six? Nah, I'm, I am six, six. I, it was actually kind of disappointing. So my brother, my little brother, he actually measured himself at six, six and a half the last weekend. So I was a little disappointed because I was always been the tall one. So my dad's only six, four. Um, but now he passed me up. So yeah, it, it's a legit six, six. Have you heard the theory though, that you don't actually want to be taller than six, six at quarterback? Have you ever heard? I have that? not. So the- I was, I was very happy when I stopped at six, six, because that was kind of like, all right, that's, that's, uh, that's enough. It's like, cause uh, you get any taller, you get to like six, nine after you're done playing anything. Everyone's like, you're the super tall guy. Six, six. <laughs> yeah. You don't stand out as much in the crowd, but so. I have a list of all the quarterbacks taller than six six, and it's that have played in the NFL history. It's Scott Mitchell, Mike Glennon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Sonny Gibbs, Frank Patrick, and Dan McGuire. It's not a great list of quarterbacks taller <laughs> than six six. So good thing you did actually stop at six six. Do you think though at six six, obviously being on the taller end for the quarterback position, you have a significant leg up over the Baker Mayfields of the world, the six footers who, you know. Russell Wilson's who don't work the middle of the field probably as much as someone like you can. Um, I mean, it's definitely been done at a very high level. Um, I, I think it's a great, it's a big advantage, um, for me personally running RPOs and drop back passes and, and play action. I feel like it's an advantage to kind of see over those linemen. Um, I had the opportunity in high school to go and watch Drew Brees train 
And literally when he's taking a three-step drop, he would train like taking a drop on his toes and looking over linemen. And it, it was, it was pretty crazy to see, to think that's like, that goes into his, his training because he has to like deal with that. Um, so it's, it's definitely been done, um, at the next level, just like those list of guys that you've said. Um, but personally, yeah, I would, I would say it's a pretty, I like, it's a good advantage. Was there a quarterback that you, was your, maybe your favorite player growing up or that you modeled your game after? I know Trent Dilfer, uh, at Elite 11 compared you to Drew Bledsoe, you know, former New England Patriots quarterback. Is there anyone that you've seen or that you watch that you try to model your game after? Um, I always loved Peyton Manning, um, the way he prepared for games, um, mentally, I feel like he was honestly one of the best to do it. I mean, he was one of the best in the position just in general. Um, I want to say I always had one guy, um, but yeah, I love Peyton Manning. And then ever since I got to meet Drew Brees and throw with him early on in high school, I love Drew Brees, um, started reading his book. I actually have to finish it. Um, but yeah, definitely those two guys I'd probably say are my top two. All right, last question here. We're going to get a little off football. So it's the middle of the summer. If you say a day you don't have practice, no schoolwork, no nothing, what are you going to do if the day is all yours and you got nothing else to do? Mm. All right. So what I do a lot with my friends, and I actually just got married like a month ago. Um, and so my wife played volleyball in high school. So what I did – before I got married and what we do a lot now, because my wife likes to play volleyball, there's a lot of sand volleyball courts at Stanford. And so we'll just get a group of like six, eight guys together, um, go play some sand volleyball. It's a great time. Um, and I'm actually a pretty big spike ball guy too. So probably just on the fields, like competing in ping pong or something like that. That's, have you that's ever played pool spike ball? I play pool spike ball. I have like, not like transition thing where you can put it in the pool. And if you have like a lower pool, it is a great time because you can dive Injury. kind of irregardless of injury. You're just diving into the pool. All right. I'll have to look into that. I have not even heard of that. Would highly recommend, highly recommend. All right, Tanner, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And man, good luck this season. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.